so there's gospel, there's family, there's mission, and then there's dependence because loving one another like family, family's hard, right? Holidays freshly remind you, family can be hard. Never mind a second family, (laughs) you don't have as much of a track record with. And then loving people like Jesus who aren't in the family, mission, loving the world around us full of broken people who are broken like us, but but at least... People who are broken in the church go, hey, but we got to follow Jesus. We're surrendering our brokenness. They don't have to do that yet. They're doing their own thing. You're loving them. And then that makes people go, man, I want to know. We've had people in this church, actually, became Christians in this church by going to birthday parties of members of this church. And they said, why are they all so nice to each other? Why do they love each other? Uh, one gal got saved at our church says, said, do you think they would be our friends? They share their stuff. They, they care about each other. Since they're diverse, but they're unified. They don't agree on everything politically, but they love each other and would die for each other. It's called even love our enemies, Romans says. So you need the Holy Spirit's power to do this. And he empowers you to forgive people you never thought you could forgive. And he empowers you to love people you never thought you could love. He empowers you to to go places you never thought you could go. And to do what you never thought you could do. And and, and as that happens, as as people grow in the gospel, while they're a part of a family, loving community, and the power of the Spirit, as that happened, just like in a physical family, often family trees keep going, multiplication happens. And when multiplication happens, there are more disciples, and there's more gospel, and there's more family, and there's more mission. And as that happens, our sixth value happens, renewal, where the culture is changed around us little by little, as salt and light permeate culture. And so today, I was thinking through those values, praying through those values, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit, again, a moment of dependence. I, I really, I was actually psyched to preach a text I don't think I'd be psyched about. It's Romans 13, it's submit to the government and pay your taxes. It's like, you're right, who wants to come forward for prayer? It's not an easy one, but I, I, the more I studied, I'm like, okay, there's some richness here, there's depth here, there's nuance here, I want to show off and pretend I'm smart. Like, I was excited about Romans 13, and I just felt like um, I needed to teach on multiplication, now, I knew we'd have an announcement about multiplication today. I already knew that was happening. Um, but multiplication is this. It's this idea that we want to be a church that is made up of people actually following and obeying Jesus who help others actually follow and obey Jesus. Okay, and, and so in particular, the New Testament describes how disciples are made and that they're made a certain way. And so before we begin, to, uh, before we begin I'm going to look at a specific passage, one that's famously known as the Great Commission. Jesus' command to every one of his followers to make other followers of Jesus in every uh, other part of the world. Matthew chapter 28, we'll start in verse 16. This is Jesus with his disciples after he's risen from the dead. It says, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted, which is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It feels like... Um, it feels like a blooper. If the Bible's a movie, it'd be a blooper. Like, hey, he, he rose from the dead. You're not supposed to doubt. Like, oh, yeah, he rose from the dead. I can't doubt. But seeing the risen Jesus, who they knew died, was in a tomb, they see him resurrected from the dead. Some are like, I don't know, man. I don't know if we should do this. But others of them, obviously, they worship. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, even the stuff people get mad about when you tell them what Jesus said and taught. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
And so we're called as the church to reproduce and make disciples of Jesus. And disciple, uh, the Greek word's methetes, it just means learn. It means you're learning to live in love like Jesus. Our friend uh, Jeff Andersell, who quoted extensively over the years, he, sa- he calls them someone who is learning to apply the gospel to all of life so they can obey Jesus in all of life. So it's not enough to know the gospel. We want to live in response to the gospel and obey Jesus. We do need to know it. We want to have deep theology, but we also need to know how to live it out, which is deep obedience. And so our church and our family of churches has had the privilege of seeing some beautiful yet broken people meet Jesus because beautiful broken people like the ones sitting in this room right now and the ones and the ones speaking through this microphone have been used by that Jesus to proclaim people out of darkness into his marvelous light. But the way that that's happened has been through the planting of churches. Church planting is a natural progression of healthy discipleship. Jesus never says, go into all the world and plant churches. He doesn't say that. He says, go and make disciples. But when you read everything the apostles do after that in the entire book of Acts, the way they made disciples was by planting churches. Does that make sense? It's like Jesus is like, go make cookies. Doesn't say anything about cooking. Go make cookies. Doesn't say go to the store and buy stuff. Again, the assumption of the apostles is, is the way that you make a disciple is in a church. Uh, one of my favorite things about being a dad uh, is watching our kids catch our, our good values, catch our good values. Because, again, uh, kids growing up is a natural progression of a healthy family. Uh, again, when they catch our good values, it's amazing. There's, they don't always catch good values. There was a time when Olivia was a young toddler. She said a swear word when she tripped over a toy that she probably learned from Jackie because I don't use those words. It's like, man, what movies are the kids watching when I'm not around, babe? No, they're frustrating, but geez. Values like, so some good values, all jokes aside, I, I cuss more than Jackie. It's, it's definitely true. Yeah. We've been through this over the years, by the way, as submissional. I don't believe cussing is a sin. We can get into it. Uh, right. I'm not encouraging swearing. I just also think there's context. All right. Uh, caregiving and service is a value they've caught. Uh, a couple months ago, uh, I had a really bad headache. And all three of my kids asked me if they could pray for me. One of them asked if they could bring me Tylenol. One of them asked if they could shut the door so they could be quiet. The other day I was with someone and I was with Olivia and the person was stressed out. And they weren't saying a lot about being stressed out, just some small things. She couldn't have known the content of what we were talking about. But Liv just said, hey, are you, are you stressed out? And she just gave her a hug to the other person. So caregiving, I love that, man. Generosity. I, Clive, one time, he dropped $50 to get his brother a drone. I kept telling him, hey, dude, this is, this is half your net worth. In general, in life, this isn't a good way to give gifts. You want to be generous, but this is a lot. And, and he said, no, I want to do it, Dad. I want to do it. Um, this Christmas, watching my kids all spend their own money on each other and ask to be taken shopping to buy thoughtful gifts for each other like made me so happy. It's kind of awkward, like the kids are opening presents, I'm like crying, I'm like trying not to sob, because I love it, man. It's a time when, mo- when I was a kid, man, I was just taken, just taken, taken, taken. And they got thoughtful gifts, and like, oh, this is so cool, man, this generosity. Um, uh, I've seen them uh, pick up even like when they're going to be married someday, like date nights. Uh, Olivia asked me one time, she said, can I marry you? And I was like, no. She said, well, if I get married, I want to go on dates and take walks. Yeah, and she only observed that from watching me and Jackie. 
hospitality, welcoming people in. Right now we have uh, Maria Orta living with us. Today she's preaching at Restored South Bay, but she's living with us. And so we, before we made that decision, we sat down with the kids and asked if they were okay with it. We said, hey, we don't have to do this. What do you, we want to make sure you guys are comfortable and you feel good about that. And they all were unanimous. They were like, she has to live by herself? And she wants to live with a family? And we're like, yeah. She's like, then we should, we, yeah, we should do it. Um, holidays, birthday parties for different people that mean a lot to them, we've seen. Recently, one of my kids confessed to sin, um, and it was really cool. No one would have known about it. And then we found out that other people in the family had prayed for them. And, and so I'm so glad that our kids are grabbing our value, values like grace, because they won't be with us forever. The values can't just live on with us, right? And again, I get weepy when I think about Olivia going to college or walking her down the aisle or having to, like, officiate my boys' weddings or something like that. I really hope they don't ask because I'm just going to sob, man. I don't know. I've seen dad pastors do it. I'm like, I don't get it. Do you even love your kids? What are you doing up there? <laughs> you want a substance? How are you, how are you doing this? So here's the reality. One day, barring a tragedy, our kids will go out to start their own homes. The natural progression of life is that our parenting should lead them to leading their own homes one day, either as single adults or as families they help lead. But they'll go and do what we have done with them to create a new space. And I believe it's a natural progression for those who have been discipled well to go start their own discipleship households or churches. Again, churches of family, we've been talking about that. Start their own spiritual families. You shouldn't stay dependent on pastors forever for everything or elders forever for everything. If you are immersing yourself in the gospel, you're learning how to live in the family of God. You're reading the scriptures. You're learning to listen to the Holy Spirit. You're learning how to do conflict, generosity, all that stuff. You'll mature to the point of being a leader, a disciple maker, an elder, a pastor, a church planner, a spiritual mother or father in God's church. And at that point, you should be sent out to disciple and baptize. And, and churches are started. People go out to disciple and baptize, and they incorporate people into a local worshiping family with accountability, safety, and boundaries. A community centered on Jesus with humble, happy leadership, as Tony Rita calls it. A leadership that feels like good parenting because good parenting exists for the kids, not for the parents. I always say this. You should never become a parent so you can boss people around. I want to boss someone around. I'll have kids, right? It's a terrible parent. Good parenting goes, my authority exists for those underneath the authority, not for the one who has the authority. We serve those we lead. And so here's the thing you need to know about Jesus' great commission and how the apostles went about making disciples again as they made disciples by planting churches. Rowan Allen uh, is a missiologist. He wrote a book about 150 years ago called Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours. And he wrote that there was really four things the apostles would do in terms of making, in terms of like fulfilling the Great Commission. They would proclaim the gospel. They'd establish them in community. They'd make disciples and they'd appoint leaders. They proclaim the gospel. They establish them in a community, a church where they can grow up to be made disciples. And then they, they would appoint leaders in those communities. And so we live in a time where it's kind of like, um, like bespoke spirituality is kind of the, the jam, right? You just kind of make up your own thing. You do your own thing. You kind of listen to music, a podcast, go to a yoga class, take a walk. And you're like, man, I'm doing it all by myself. Um, but, but here's the thing is that in the New Testament, there's no such thing as a Christian without a church. Most of the commands of Paul and Jesus in the New Testament, we'd be going through them in Romans 12, they're how to live with one another and love one another. You can't do that by yourself. Right? I just got to bear with me. You don't bear with you. You think you're awesome. 
or you think I might not be awesome, but I'm, but I'm me, and I'm doing it. I'm going to give myself grace. I'm going to empathize with myself. I'm going to rejoice with myself. I'm going to sacrificially serve myself, right? That's not a way to grow up as a disciple. Also, we need people to teach us and admonish us. Again, man, we'll list there. Teach us and admonish us. Us. We need people to help us understand how to follow Jesus. In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. The word of Christ is the gospel contextually here in Colossians. Let the word of Christ, let the gospel dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with gratitude in your hearts. Guys, you're called to teach one another. It doesn't say just listen to the elders' teaching. There's stuff about elders' teaching in other parts of the New Testament. But it says admonish one another, teach one another. But it takes a church to grow a disciple, It's right? It takes a family to grow a person. So teach. This is the idea, not just of getting up with a mic and talking for 40 minutes or whatever. Teaching is going, I'm instructing you. I'm helping you. Parents do it all the time. I'm teaching you something along the way about how to follow Jesus well. You're learning to live in a new kingdom. How does, how does following Jesus impact my parenting, my vocation, my career, my singleness, my art, my sex, my money, my time, my house? So a lot of times, teaching is what you do with brand new believers. Like, I'm telling you something you've never heard before. Kind of like what, what little league coaches do. I'm teaching, you know, I'm teaching you something about baseball you've never known. But then on the flip side, there's this other thing, and scholars say it's like the other side of the coin. It's funny they're in the same verse. It's not funny they're in the same verse. They, they go together. Admonish is correcting someone who already knows better, and you're reminding them. And we all need this, by the way. Remind them, hey, man, that's sin. Hey, man, you're better than that. Hey, girl, come on. And again, if you're offended by this idea of correction, you'll never mature, right? So teachings like, hey, giving sacrificially to a church is a good thing. You might have never heard of that before. Admonishing is, hey, you've made a commitment to do that. Like Paul in 2 Corinthians, you haven't done it or it's fallen through, right? Teaching is, hey, forgiveness. I know you probably never heard of this in this way. Like forgiveness is a thing. Uh, it's hard, but it's worth it. Uh, I'd love to teach you how to forgive and help you start a process of forgiveness. Uh, it, Admonishing someone's like, man, you're really bitter. We're, we're pretty deep into this thing. How are you going to start that process to get, to get hel- healthy and whole and walk in forgiveness? Right? Again, if you don't like correction, you'll never mature. You will not grow. Kids who are never disciplined pretty much stay emotional children their whole lives. Um, uh, it's true in sports. Uh, when, when Clive's played basketball, Calvin played basketball, um, the kids that improve are the ones who receive coaching from the coaches. They have a guy who played college basketball, and then he played, uh, he was on an NBA roster once, uh, teaching them how to shoot. And there's kids who are nine years old going, I know, I know, I know, I know. Come on. No, you don't. Not like him. Like, like receive from him in this space. If we can't receive correction, we cannot grow. And so a disciple without a church cannot mature because there's no one to teach and admonish them. Maybe teaching can be done through a podcast. You're learning new information you never learned before admonishing can't happen through a podcast. Unless it's like a, I don't know, wild pro- prophetic guy or gal. It's like, Holly Stevens, this is for you. <laughs> Jackie Rogers, this is for you. <laughs> Someone needs to feed them the scripture. Someone needs to admonish disciples. 
When Calvin was younger, he used to slap people. When he was like three, he would just slap you, right? Not cute when you're 50. You need a space to learn not to do that. Someone needs to teach and then admonish you. Acts chapter 1-8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, Jesus recasting this great commission. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter preaches the gospel. People get saved and quickly start gathering again as local churches. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47, I'm going to read this in its entirety. It says this, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. He's saying Jew, Gentile, old, young, God's calling people to Jesus. Verse 40, with many words he testified and strongly urged them and said, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Verse 42, this is what happens after. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. Communion, just so you guys know, used to happen over a meal. You'd like eat a meal together and then take communion, right? It's, it's, it's definitely funner than these cups. Still worth doing but they would do it in homes. The church started in homes and at tables. And it says, they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so we see this church. And really, this is like an ideal church plan. They're committed to the gospel. They're loving one another well in such a way that people are blown away and they want to become Christians. You're seeing God do miracles, providing. When you're a church, but you're, you're vulnerable, you're young, you're weak, you don't have all the resources of a big church and of a building and a huge bank account and a big staff, and you have to make it work. And, and this is happening. Stuff's happening. Miracles are happening. People are being healed. And then, they eat. and then one thing church plants can do just better than a big old church is they can eat, man, together. One of the best parts about being a part of a smaller church is the food at church functions can just be better. Right, so the, the, bigger the, the bigger the wedding, the worse the steak. You know what I mean? And there's this, and ladies are just balling out of control, right? But churches generally aren't. But they're eating together. They're enjoying the favor of God. And people are going, I want in on this. They've, they've got miracles. They've got love. They've got food. They're feasting. They're enjoying things. They're loving people so well that they have favor with people. People want what they have. It's not religious people trying to pressure people to be something they don't want to be. Or sad Christians who are embarrassed of Jesus. Like, would you think we're cool and like joy? It's like, we're following Jesus, man. Come on. Like, can we, yeah, come on. Can we be their friends? Yes, come on. Everything that's called for in the Great Commission is going down in these churches. There's teaching and baptizing, evangelizing, obeying, and loving one another. And people are getting saved in radical ways, man. Paul, um... Paul, again, remember he was Saul. He's having people put to death and having their property taken away for following Jesus. He gets saved, becomes a prolific church planner, from church persecutor to church planner. 
Acts 9.31 says what happens after this. It says, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, kind of all modern-day Israel and and extended areas, had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So we see it increases in numbers. It multiplies. When people experience the love of our churches, they experience the love of Jesus and the gospel. They receive it and it does something. And the church grows. As we continue, uh, it gets wilder. Acts chapter 11 says, Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And so they're going out. This persecution started because of Stephen. They're talking to people that they feel like they can reach. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. Big moment in the book of Acts. The gospel is going to people who are not Jewish. You didn't have the concept of a Jewish Messiah. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed to turn to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch, modern-day Syria. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were out of the Lord. One of the things I love about Barnabas is he doesn't write a book of the Bible. Most of his most of the reasons we know about him are his connections to other people. But he's full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and God uses him. This guy wasn't a rabbi historically. It says, then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And it says they're preaching the Lord Jesus. They're preaching a person. They're not preaching rules. And then... Uh, Saul comes to Antioch, so we have Christians moving around, and as movement happens, more and more people are blessed and brought to Jesus and built up. One year long trip, it's kind of like when Paul and Nicole went to L.A., it's like a one year, or a year and a half, what was it, Nick? Yeah, 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 a year and a half, uh, you wish you were with us, come on, be honest. A ton of people become followers of Jesus, but he isn't seeking to keep them dependent on him, he's training them to, to, to go out. So they're in Antioch for a year. They don't stay there forever. But again, we see this pattern. A church is established. Community is established. Acts 13 says, uh, verse 1 through 3 says, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manane, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. By the way, this is a multiracial uh, church of diverse socioeconomic status and different giftings. We break up churches along gifting, race, and socioeconomic status right now in the West. They had all three blended together. And in that space, it says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So they send them out as apostles. And again, apostles just means sent ones. The Greek word for apostles is, uh, is the word apostolos. It's, it's trans, uh, it's, it's, uh, tr- the Latin word is, is uh, where we get the word missionary. 
And so if, if you're uncomfortable with the word apostle, you just think missionary, but they send them out. It's kind of missionaries exist to make disciples and raise up leaders to establish churches of Jesus wherever they don't currently exist. And so Paul and Barnabas, and by the way, that, that's a geographic location, but that's also people groups and groups of people in a place that couldn't access the gospel through maybe um, churches that exist in that area. So Paul and Barnabas prayed over, and they're sent out to make disciples and start churches. And then we see in Acts chapter 14, it says, After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. This is Paul now. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Acts 14, verse 20 says, After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, back to Antioch, strengthening the, the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So again, they start these churches, they come around, now they're, they're appointing leaders, that thing Roland Allen talked about, to lead these spiritual families, these small church families. And they go to places they've already been, and, and they're strengthening. And so one of the things we see in the New Testament is there, there's different levels of sending. There's short-term sending, there's medium-term sending, and there's long-term sending, right? So short-term sending would be uh, kind of strengthening and refreshing believers in a certain place. Um, uh, I was in, uh, Jackie and I went to see uh, our friends in Tunisia, the missionary couple in Tunisia, and the guy texted me after, and he just said, man, we felt so refreshed, and we felt like we have wind in our sails for a new season. Um, I don't want to say I'm refreshing, but I might be refreshing you guys. And it's not just me. When I bring teams, there's other men and women on those teams filled with the Spirit with their own gifts. I tend to care about that stuff based on my gifting, like wanting to get the trips going. But, but sent ones, they bring other people along, and those people encourage and refresh and give out spiritual gifts in the place that don't exist in that place. There's this interdependence across churches that leads to thriving. Uh, that's why Maria's in South Bay today. She's going to get a gift today. Um, Danny's a phenomenal preacher. He's been preaching way longer than Maria. He's got a lot of experience, but they're going get, to get a gift from Maria today they would not have gotten from Danny. And when someone else is up here to preach, when, when it's not me, you're getting a gift that I couldn't give you. Um, Jackie and I are going to be in South Africa next month. The official... Uh, uh, Harbor City handover, which is exciting. Uh, Grant Clark officially looking to be here. And so we're going to go and, and try to refresh them and walk with them. And we're, we're going to sit with the, the new couple for a few days and, and encourage them as they're getting ready to lead the new community. Uh, there's medium-term sending, right? It's like what we saw with that one year in Antioch uh, with Barnabas and, and, and Paul. It's like when we sent Tom to help plant Restored South Bay. Or we sent, again, uh, Nicole and Paul to help plant Restored L.A. And then there's long-term sending, like when Tom left South Bay and went to Temecula. Or when Nick and Paul moved back to Uptown, and they promised to never leave again. Just trying to make that point throughout the sermon, right? Like, this is, this is what they're called to. Uh, that's Maria moving to India, our friends moving to Tunisia. Uh, churches should not be in isolation. We're sending, and, and, and there's this cross-pollination that's happening often. Some short, some medium, some long-term. Now, we can forget to be about this. Because I think, honestly, guys, 2020, it's been brutal. 2021's been brutal. But if we're honest, ancient life was always brutal. And they were about this life. They weren't spending a bunch of time going, what can I do? Or can't? They're going like, what has Jesus called me to do? I'm going to go do that thing. Even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it's not ideal. 
I know church planters uh, in Southeast Asia who have to meet in, in like hidden air, like pits that are pitch black. They have to go over the cover of night. I know brothers and sisters who are in Saudi Arabia, the little house church. It's a high-stake situation. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. The music can't be as loud as you want it to be. It's pitch black. You can't see each other's faces. These things that are less than ideal, but they're worth doing. But I think for us, for a lot of us, um, a lot of this uh, downtime, a lot of this like COVID stuff, man, for a lot of us, it's just led to a lot of navel-gazing and forgetting that there's a world outside of us that still needs Jesus. They still need, and that's this year, guys. That's the theme for this year. I'm going to do Vision Sunday in like seven weeks. We want to do it today. Then we went to Romans 13. It's a little crazy. And I'm thinking, I don't know if everyone's going to be here. I don't know if we should do a video or what. We want to get the vision to as many people as possible. But a big part of the vision is we're going out again. We want to plan a church. We want to do Alpha. We want to do some justice stuff. Church planning um, doesn't happen when we lose sight of the gospel. If we're self-righteous and we think we're better than the culture around us, we look down on people, we're not going to, like, offer them anything. If we're scared all the time, we're not going to go out and share the gospel. If we're addicted to comfort, we're not going to move somewhere that's not as comfortable. And when we forget the gospel, we'll easily go to those places. We'll forget the fact that Jesus got very uncomfortable to save us, to rescue us. He had compassion on us when we were ridiculous. Not only were we in sin, we, we didn't want rescue. We had rejected Jesus. When we forget the cross and what, what he went through for all of us, we get comfortable with the American dream, which is not Jesus' dream. Jesus, Jesus, I don't know if you guys know, he, the incarnation is the opposite of the American dream. He starts at the top. He dies at the bottom, only to rise again. The New Testament says we, 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 we're, we're put to death, but we, we rise again. That, 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 that life comes out of death. And then we also, we lose sight of the gospel. We also lose sight of our own need for the gospel, not just now, but before. It's a helpful thing. Whenever I coach church planners that don't really know that well, and I'm brought in to do like a training or whatever, I'll always ask them, do you remember yourself before you knew Jesus? How insecure you were. How afraid you were. How alone you were. How addicted you were, whatever it is the way that brokenness had victory in your life, sin had victory in your life because you hadn't experienced the saving of the Savior. You go, man, you got to want that for the people you're trying to reach with the church plan. If it's just about you getting to lead something, we don't need that. It's like a platform for narcissism and pain for others. But if we have someone whose heart's broken for people who don't know Jesus, we can work with that. We can train you on the job in a lot of areas. We can't teach that. And so this is why we church plant, so that men and women can be reconciled to the Father through Jesus. He wants them um, to be happy. He loves them more than they love themselves, and they don't even know it. So church family, we all have a part in this restoring, reconciling work of Jesus. The gospel propels us as disciples to start our own spiritual family centered around the gospel at some point in time. Our own church plant. Which leads to an announcement today, uh, kind of a family moment, a day about sending um, I was at a retreat about ah, four or five months ago, and um, Meryl Venon, some of you guys know her, uh, just amazing older South African woman, Chris Venon's wife. Uh, she's a therapist. She's the wife of a church planner, serial church planner, and she prophesied over me, and she said, um, 
She said, Andy, I feel like God wants to, to release someone or something from you that seems really hard, but you can trust God, essentially. The exact wording in a journal that I didn't have when I was going to preach on this. But she said, it's, you, can, you can trust God to release someone. And then Colorado, a few months back, um, there was a gal named Annabeth uh, who prophesied over me that I was um, searching for treasure. And she said, I think you're looking for church planners. And there's people that have come to you. We've been approached three different times in the last two years by people who are like, we want to plant a church. And then when we get into it, they're like, ah, I don't know. I, that's hard. Um, but they're real boisterous. And they're real like, I can do it. And I'm, all, and I'm like, and to the point where I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know, girl. This seems a little proud. <laughs> and, uh, and he says, they're real shiny, but they're not the real thing. And then there are two coins that have just gained value over time, right? The Ethereum of this prophecy. It's, it's a tough time right now, but it's coming back, right? There's these two coins, and they're not shiny in the, in the way that they're not self-promoting. Like, they're not self-promoting. They're, they're, they're even kind of dusty in, in that way. They're not trying to be a big deal. They're not trying to be the, the center of attention. And because of that, you might miss them because they're not trying to be the center of attention, but they've only gained value, and I think there's, she said, I think there's church planners like that in your midst that have been around for a while that are so valuable, that are more ready than you know, and you didn't realize it. And I think God might want you to send someone like this. And so um, a few weeks later, I, um, uh, I ended up uh, getting invited to uh, cocktails, and I didn't know what, what I was in store for. Uh, and it was cocktails with Scott and Ashley Stroman, who I'm going to call up here right now. Right now. <laughs> Um, I think you guys know they both love talking from the front, especially Scott, so we're going we're gonna to do this thing. Um, but uh, we're going to do an interview. You guys take off your masks. Uh, here we go. Um, and uh, first question I have is this, is uh, what's happening in your lives? We kind of went over this this morning. Um, you can hear me, right? Okay. Um, yeah, kind of what Andy said. After, like, you know, we kind of sold our house um, in City Heights in August. Um, to be fully honest with all intentions to stay here in San Diego um, and Ashton and I began to wrestle with um, just kind of what's next what's next for our family um, where's God leading us and um, through like really seeking wisdom from a lot of different people um, and yeah we brought Andy and Jackie into it a few months um, I don't know, three months ago, whatever it might have been now, and just shared with them kind of the the wrestle that we were having of maybe moving back to our hometown, and uh, that's that's what we're announcing here, I guess, um, that uh, we're going to be moving back to um, our hometown of Altaloma, um, or Ranch Cucamonga, however you want to put it. There's like two names for it. I still think it's kind of strange, but um, yeah, that's where we grew up. It's our our family, like we literally have so many people that are um, friends and family that are right there. Um, and we just think about, I don't know, there's more that we'll get into, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me, it was a little different for, for me. I felt like my heart was in two places for a while. Um, we talked through it this morning, so I would get all my tears out this morning, but um, 
Yeah, so I think selling our home and, and going through that transition and praying through, you know, okay, where, where are we going to land in, in San Diego? And I think it just gave us, like, space to actually consider um, something that I had brought up to him over the years. Hey, do you think we ever will? Do you think that's something we would do? Um, and he was pretty closed off to it. But for whatever reason, this transition, I think we both felt more open. Um, and just um, – through that process, just praying through it and inviting other people into that. Um, we didn't have like a burning bush moment or where, you know, God's like, you are going, but we just had a lot of little things that felt very confirming. Um, and one of the things that uh, he was meeting with like a spiritual director at the time and processing some of that. And one of the things he sent us to read was this article that described like, you know, it was about just discernment and making big decisions and um, this contrast of being like driven or drawn and like driven might be more indication that you're kind of trying to force this and drawn is like you're maybe being led by God but it, it was in more depth than that but that like really resonated for us and so it just made us more open to praying about it and that was like a big focus for us on the retreat um, just praying through that and asking God to just give us um, wisdom and direction if that was where he was leading us um, so, yeah, we, we had really were strongly leaning that way when we invited, um, you know, well, actually, I think when we met with you guys, we were still sort of like, hey, this is a th thing we're considering. And then um, as time progressed and different experiences through prayer, just um, conversations with people back home, conversations just between us, we felt like it was where God was leading us. So it's almost like just one little little step at a time um and at each of those points we felt like we had confirmation from god so yeah what do you guys uh if we can just finish up oh, okay uh, what do you guys hoping to see happen uh as you guys move just is it just moving or you want me to start this one um i think for even when we were here we were always in this tension of like wanting to carry home what we've learned here about jesus um Which is, is hard when it's such a um, relational and, um, like, we live life as a family down here. And so I think for a, a lot of years it was like we would go home for events or parties and we would, you know, want to invite people into what we're experiencing down here in San Diego. And, um, um, Yeah, so just that piece of, like, carrying home what we both got saved in this church. So just, you know, the way that the gospel has impacted every facet of our lives. And there is something just really distinct about the way that we do um, church as a family. And um, ha that the core of everything goes back to the gospel and just the the way that we disciple one another, like there's not an area of our lives that we don't want to see the gospel impact. And so I think for a long time, we, I've just felt this tension of like wanting people there to experience that and, those, and not having a lot of opportunities to live um, life with them. And so I think just that piece of carrying home what we've learned about Jesus and how he's, you know, changed our lives. Um, is that all I wanted to say? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think moving back, like we're where we're going is, um, I mean, this is probably selling it short, but like so many friends and families in the community there, like there's, we have probably 50 family members within 10 minutes of us um, where we're going. And um, like Ash said, we want to carry back. We want people to experience the gospel. Um, and um, I think in doing that, it's, you know, our plan is to, like Andy's talking about, is like, we're going <laughs> to, like, the plan is to, to do, like, a house church. And um, 10 years, and she's starting to rub off on me. <laughs> um, and I think a part of this, through this process of, like, really seeking wisdom and speaking with people and... Um, meeting with the counselor, talking with Andy and Jackie, and the number of you guys. Um, like, it's it's really been, um, you know, kind of pursuing um, the doors that are open and, and seeing what doors are open, like pursuing these different things. And I think one of the things that God is, like, really kind of sharing with me is, like, to kind of slow down um, so that I can see kind of what he has for me. Um, and... And doing that, I think this next season is really like leading the family, uh, leading my family well, and um, kind of taking all the different to-do lists and jobs and things that I have off my plate a little bit, and um, really look at what God has for me and like what His call is on our on my life personally and our family, um, our family's life, and um, really kind of that's that's what allowed me, I think, to to then open up to okay what is God calling us to? And, you know, it, could this be something more than just our family or moving back home? Um, you know, it's, it's really been like one step. It was kind of, you know, we're deciding this and, and then this door opens and we make this decision and then this door opens. And, um, so it's really been like, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, looking at what Andy just preached about in Matthew 28, you know, God is really feels like he is with us throughout this whole thing and um, you know we really do hope to see um, like invite people into our home and slowly kind of see what happens and what he does and um, do like a little small group and then see what that turns into and just kind of try to be uh, obedient with whatever he has in store for us um, I don't like I said, I don't have, I don't like have like a crazy vision for it, but I, I am trusting that he's going to continue to like pave the way of, of what this is. Um, and he's already beginning to equip us. I mean, literally through Andy, like we're meeting, we're going to be we meeting weekly about like, all right, what does this look like? How do we discern certain things? Like, um, what is God calling us to? Like these things are beginning to kind of lay their foundation. I think now as we begin this process. Um, no, I think that's it. I mean, ideally, we would just love to see people come to know Jesus. And then also, we have a lot of people up there that we know in our family and out of our family that maybe identify as Christian, um, kind of like we did, <laughs> um, but maybe haven't really experienced God's grace and, you know, or had the impact of the gospel in every area of their life or seen church like a family and experienced that. So, I mean, those are the things that I think are the most exciting for us. Oh. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, we're going to miss you guys, and that's the biggest thing. But just, it's where we became Christians. I mean, this has our, been our, like, spiritual family for 10 years. And I think we both, like, it's been a lot of reflecting on just how radically different the trajectory of our lives would have been had God not saved us in this community. And um, each of you, like, have played a different part in that. Um, and... I think we're just, I mean, there's a lot of little things that we're sort of grieving, <laughs> even just, like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, just, yeah, just, this is, like, our, our favorite day of the week, and it's, like, our kids' favorite day of the week, and just going to miss that. And just, even though we have this, like, I feel like, like excited about what God could do with a little house church, just the, um, yeah, missing this space with you guys and just being with you guys and celebrating like every milestone we've had in our life for the past 10 years has been with you guys. Um, you know, we, we were saved in this church right after we were married. So every birth of our child or, or you know, every big decision we've done like with you guys. So we're going to miss, we're going to miss you guys. Um, yeah, I mean, everything that Ash said, um, I don't want to just, like, say, oh, everything she said, but, like, the crossover of, um, our lives, like, right now, like, I love seeing all of you, you know, the, those who do, like, pop into the co-work, and, like, it, it's the, that crossover, and seeing people at coffee shops, and out at restaurants, and around town, and I had a friend of mine that, um, came and worked a day at the co-work, like, a couple years ago, and, um, we went out to lunch and I saw a few people that are part of this community and he's just like, what, what are you like the mayor around here or something? Like, it's just like, it's close knit. Like I have brothers and sisters that are scattered out throughout all of San Diego. And, um, you know, to leave that, like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to miss that dearly. Like, um, I'm going to miss being able to, um, share like, you know, <laughs> it seems weird, but like, I feel each of you truly want to know what's going on in our lives and you want to know how you um, can encourage us and um, like you genuinely care about us. And I think just seeing everybody um, and gathering together and um, doing events and parties and um, like we're going to miss that. Like Bianca's party last night, like we're going to miss that. And um, celebrating each of you, we're going to miss that. Um, we're not going to be far, but yeah. Prayer. Um, I think just like praying for us, how to pray for us, like just practically, honestly, just through any move, like the, the stress and anxiety that comes with like transitioning, um, whether you're moving like a mile away or you're moving for us like over 100 miles away um there's a lot that goes along to that so um just the practical things and a lot of like with our kids um we're kind of in the uh already but not yet type phase <laughs> right now we're living in a um in two out of two bedrooms essentially in a condo right now and our kids are like i want my own space i want this i want that they're sharing their rooms and um, they're beginning to ask the questions of, you know, 
are we going to, you know, we're moving. Are we going to be able to see like our church friends? Are we going to be able to see like, um, are we going to do play dates with, uh, you know, our friends from school? Are we going to do all these different things? So like they've, they've created so many like good relationships at school and here and just helping to like disciple them in a way and transition them in a way that, um, like say goodbye, like and, and grieve that process. Um, I think it's difficult as a parent. Um, so I want to be able to do that for them and um, just pray for, honestly, like just God um, to bring peace. Like there's a lot of, I personally just get stressed about like the move and things like that. So um, yeah, I think just, just prayer and that and that God would actually do something with this, this like house church that he'd bring people um, like within the community there to, um, that would just be open to, honestly like coming over for dinner hanging out um getting to know us getting to know our kids getting to know our family um yeah and just with grieving this honestly um yeah so i i just for wisdom um uh, as we like make decisions about how to do this house church thing um, and then just to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, um, like just for his power. Um, and then just to stay like united as a couple, I think the stressors of moving and stuff, just to, just to stay kind of as one another is like one of our like main supports and support one another well. Um, and then we need help. So whether that's people already in Altaloma <laughs> or um, people here, but we know we can't do this by ourselves. So um, you know, we, in our minds right now, we're going about it, like we're leading a GC, but even that, like we've always like, I mean, there's multiple leaders in a GC. And, and so I think just wanting, um, God to like provide people to help us with this. Um, yeah, just what Scotty already said about just the grieving process and, um, resettling in a culture that's very different from this culture. Um, it's different. <laughs> if you are curious how I can share with you but it's just very different so how to share the gospel in that culture in a way that um well you know like just how to share Jesus in that culture if that makes sense and then that culture also I think sorry I'm talking a lot but okay the other thing that came to mind um this morning was just um we know like in within this culture there's things that are we're like tempted towards or weaknesses that are you know um harder but in that culture there are also like temptations and things that I feel like could be distractions so just for like God to help us stay focused on him um Scott would you put your arm around uh, Ash is that okay and uh we're gonna pray in a second uh, that's why so but real fast I just want to say three things one is um that prophecy I had about the treasure thing just really like popped for me with them. And one of the things that's funny, when we, whenever we talk about like leader, spiritual leadership and eldership in the church, we always talk about the three C's, uh, just character, uh, calling, and competency. And, uh, um, and there's a loose four that's capacity, but you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, but, but one of the things with, with Scott Nash is uh, the biggest one in the Bible is character. Uh, that's the, the, you know, 95% or something of the qualifications for eldership in the church have to do with character, uh, not gifting. There's only one thing you're supposed to be gifted to do, and that's teach. Um, and so for me, um, it's just so wild because at a character level, I know this couple so well. 
and we all do. They've been vetted. Royce has been in business with Scott for several years. I know more about, about their marriage than I want to know. I've traveled the world with both of them, and had awkward moments with both of them. Uh, I have, uh, yeah, I've, there's been laughter. Me and Ash have had laughter. We've had tears. Uh, I've supervised her in a work setting. I've seen it, like, we've partnered in ministry for years. I've seen it from the, from the very beginning, and so that's there. And then the chemistry piece is, like, their church experience is restored. Uh, their values are restored. And so um, that's the thing that would be, you know, reproduced. But, but the two big things for me were always uh, capacity in that uh, Ash's, you know, doing her licensing. They have two young kids. Uh, they often have to go back and forth. Uh, they're very connected to their family of origin. There's a lot of back and forth that a lot of us don't experience. And then Scott uh, works full time. He has had a commute forever. He often has had calls. Uh, when he first started coming to the church, he always had a late night call to China once a week. Um, but like crazy hours, side hustles, business, all this stuff. And so for me, um, capacity was always a thing. And then calling was the big one. And uh, uh, me and Tom Logue, after the prophecy training, we took Scott out for a cocktail. We were talking, and Scott, Tom felt like Scott was really highlighting um, Scott to him. And we were just talking, and, and it was so funny. He goes, man, I think I have the spiritual gift of leadership, but I don't want to be like a big deal or the center of attention. So I don't know if leading a church. I was like, no, that, you're, that's catnip, bro. That's who I want leading churches. Gifted, and it's not about them. Gifted, but humble. And so, um, and so uh, over the next, um, yeah, eight weeks or so, we're really walking through this calling in particular. Um, a little bit of character stuff, but again, I know, I know a lot, a couple more pointed questions, but beyond that, we know a lot about them. Um, and then we're going to be looking at um, specifically calling and discerning that together of actually leading a community, and then, um, and then the competencies that are required, and they feel like they can grow into if they, there, A lot of that, I think, is already there, to be honest, uh, but just walking through that, and then Lord willing, in, in eight, nine weeks' time, I want to lay hands on them to commission them. Uh, to lead this new work, and so it might seem random and quick, but it's like, oh, we've known about we we've known about that for years. Like it, it's it can be faster because we have so much history. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, and so, so that's one thing that's happening. Um, two, I did go up to do like a little vision trip with them and and, and roll with them, and it's just wild, like yeah, how much stuff, how many people they're connected to. Uh, went out to a brewery, and they're like, oh man, we know your parents. Like it was just these quick like. People love them and want to connect with them, people that don't know Jesus. And so um, I think there's already favor there. I think they're going to need help, to be honest, um, uh, in terms of maybe people even moving there. I don't know. They're not asking for that. I'm saying, uh, yeah, to think about that, pray about that. Because um, I, I think they're going to have plenty of people who are interested. Like, I just keep getting a picture of, like, a hall of fish. Where it's like, I, we don't even know what to do with this. Like, we don't even know. And they're going to need um, workers. And so uh, pray through that. And then um, I had one other thing, but I don't remember what it is. But before we close, I want to call up four people to pray brief one minute or less prayers. All right. I want to call up Bianca, uh, Bianca McCoop, birthday girl. If she's down, she's willing. Go for B. Jackie Rogers and uh, Royce Nicholas. Um, let's just lay hands on them and, um, and just pray into the things that they ask for prayer for or whatever God puts on your heart. And if you guys would join us in prayer as a church. Jesus, um, I thank you that before they uh, knew you and before they knew that they were called um, to your family, uh, you knew everything about them, that you already knew um, that you would call them to uh, move back to their hometown, that you would call them to lead a community. Um, and I pray that they would find so much uh reassurance and trust knowing that this isn't like a plan that just randomly came about, but it's been a plan in the works uh, since before they were created. Um, I pray uh, 
for the kids. I ask, God, that you um, would give them the grace that they need um, to transition um, back to a place that they've never actually lived. Um, I thank you for all of the sweet uh, things about uh, living in Rancho um, that they are going to have fun with. Um, but I also just pray for uh, the longings in their hearts for the relationships that they had here. Um, I pray that you would meet them in ways that uh, even their parents can't meet them. Um, I pray just for uh, Ashley and Scott for their relationship that you continue to um, strengthen them, help them um, see eye to eye and be on the same page. Um, and lastly, I just pray, uh, uh, just it struck me that they said multiple times that they're going to start a little house church. <laughs> I just love how they package it. It's so much more easy to just say it like that. <laughs> Sorry. And I just... <laughs> I just ask God that you would uh, just prepare their hearts for whatever it is that you're going to do in Rancho and that you would prepare the workers, you would bring the workers um, to uh, co-labor with them uh, in the gospel, God. Father, I thank you that um, we have your word and that we get to see pictures of you, Jesus, and how you walked on this earth and um, how you um, would just come up to these men and, hey, come follow me, and that you've done that with Ashley and Scotty. I thank you that you've saved them. I thank you that um, you partner with us. I still don't understand why you do that. You're God. We're so broken and messed up, and we oftentimes mess up your plan, but you're so gracious, and you so um, desire this um, connection and collaboration with your, your creation and with your uh, people, and we thank you. I, yeah, my little mind does not understand, but I thank you that you understand. I thank you that you have called them. I thank you that you have softened their hearts um, and that they have responded in obedience, um, and I just am reminded, Jesus, of one of your words that says that the work um, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and I thank you that they are uh, willing to um, uh, come up and uh, willing to do your work, Father, and I pray that um, their eyes would be continuously on you, Jesus, that they wouldn't be distracted by all the logistics, all the whatever, like what do we do with all this fish or whatever happens, Lord, that they would know that it is your work and that you go before them and that they would be faithful with what you have put in front of them. Um, yeah, Lord, I pray your protection over them. Um, I thank you that you are mighty. I thank you for your faithfulness on this journey that you have um, been uh, bringing them in. Um, Father, thank you so much um, for this couple, for these friends of ours, and um, I really just feel like, um, man, they've benefited um, this church so much. I get the sense that they um, have carried so much um, weight at this church, like they um, they are, have a very strong foundation um, that's that's born a lot from um, GCs to um, crazy co-work business ventures 
to starting a counseling um, office in-house. And um, I do, I disagree with what Andy um, was saying about um, their character. And I'm grateful for how you've been developing that um, here at this church the last 10 years. Um, and I'm, I'm proud to send a couple that is, is um, 95% um, character. And they have just tons of gifting as well. Um, on top of that, that's just being explored and, and developed. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I am so grateful for how much they've um, invested and dedicated um, to this church. And um, I, I think we're going to be missing them <laughs> more than we know. And kind of the, the gap that's going to be filled is, is larger than we know. Um, and um, yeah, I pray that you would, um, you would bring people to, uh, to help them build um, out in Rancho. And that they would know that they're they're loved and they're missed, and that um, we're with them, and that you are with them always, as you said in the Great Commission. And um, you know, we're just so grateful for the work you've done in them, and to um, get to see somebody saved, developed, and then planting is just such um, such an honor. So, uh, yeah, we we thank you for them. Amen. Love you guys. You guys go ahead and honor them. Give them a round of applause. Keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. Um, we usually shoot to end at 11.40, and it's 11.38, so we got two minutes to spare. You're in luck. Um, just want to say um, to be praying for them, and if you have any questions on this, you want to talk about it, or you're interested in helping support them in any way, uh, please let us know. Um, yeah, I, I think it's exciting. I think it's going to be an exciting year. Um, but, um, but as always, ascending, it, it's hard. And so I just want to pray over us, uh, a prayer of benediction as we go um, into today, into this week. Father, I thank you for um, the privilege of getting to be a church family that, just, that, that is fruitful, like we're a fruitful church. Um, there's churches worshiping in Chula Vista right now, or National City. There's churches worshiping in, there's a church worshiping in Temecula. Um, there's a church worshiping in Los Angeles. Um, there's a cluster of house churches um, worshiping in Northern Africa. That's getting more and more exciting all the time. There's a church worshiping in Denver that we've helped establish and strengthened and refreshed and trained. And um, Lord willing, there'll be a church uh, in a year, a year's time, uh, probably gathered around this time, maybe in the afternoon, evening. I don't know what, what they're going to do, but Lord, I, I thank you for the privilege that we get to be a part of that. It's such a privilege. It's such a privilege to see um, something that we feel like you called us to do happen, where we've seen people meet Jesus, like Roy said, and, and then move to the space of wanting to help others meet Jesus in a new context. It's a dream. Um, Ashley was the first person saved at this church. Um, it's just so remarkable to see what's happening in their lives as they've trusted you little by little to be disciples with more and more of their lives over the years. So I thank you for the, the privilege of getting to see that and be a part of that. But I also want to pray for a lot of comfort for the pain of this. Every time we do it, it's painful. Um, there's a part of me that wants to be a church that doesn't plant and just goes, all right, it's us 40. We're doing this for life and, and no one leave. And, um, but the reality is you call this to be a multiplying family. So we're still going to be family, just like when family moves. Uh, brothers and sisters moved to other states. In a healthy family, you, st you can still talk every day. There's still connection, but it is different. 
what the relationship looks like does change. And so, Lord, I just pray. Um, right now, I just want to pray comfort for our pain and that you'd empower some of us to step um, into an even greater involvement of the privilege and even go to, to go plant with them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I love you, family. Um, we'll sp- thanks for being um, great sports this week. I will see you. We'll see you next week. Uh, we will be in Romans. Uh, you will get to hear about paying taxes. You're gonna love it. And um, and yeah, this week, man, just pray and ask God, how does He want to use you to see people come to know Jesus outside of this community, uh, whether it's this church plan or something else, guys? That this year would be a year of of, of getting our heads up and looking out. Um, all right, so we love you guys, and we'll see you next week.